Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Pin Live's opinion editor, coming to you with another Battleground PA podcast. And once again, we have our trusted analysts, Rajet Harris and Jeffrey Lord, who will join us to talk about, among other things, the push to reopen Pennsylvania's economy and the protesters that went to the Capitol to demand change. This is Battleground PA, a Penn Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, we are ready to go. And I want to just first welcome Rajat Harris, our Democratic analyst, and Jeffrey Lord, our Republican. Can I call you a pundit, Jeffrey? <laughs> I usually do. Well, well I've been called I've been called worse in life, so I'll go with it. We all have. Trust me, we all have. How are you guys doing today? Roger? Great. Good. Yep. Good. I'm doing great. I'm fine. All right. Well, yep. let's get right to it. Now, Jeffrey, we had a little bit of a conversation before about the protesters. And Jeffrey, I'm not your mother. I know it. But we have come <laughs> to care about you a little bit. And I understand you went to the protest at the Capitol. What happened? Well, first, tell us why you risked your life and what happened. (laughs) Well, I did it from a a journalistic point of view. I wanted to see what was up. And I went with my cell phone and parked in the garage. Frankly, I, I was anticipating parking in the parking lot of the Radisson Hotel here in Camp Hill and walking across. Well, then as I got closer, there was almost no cars in the Radisson parking lot. And I thought, well, let me see how far I can get into the city. Well, the answer was all the way with no problem. And I parked in the garage near the train station and walked up to the Capitol. And the closer I got, the more cars I saw with flags and honking horns. And I walked through the Capitol Park there. And then there you were. There were all these people, a lot of them, I'd say a thousand or so, that's what Penn Lodge reporters were estimating. Lots, probably of, about lots of music. I had to laugh. A song that I always associate with Bill Clinton, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. Right, yeah, that's his theme song. <laughs> was, right? uh, was blaring forth, etc. You know, I made a point of talking to somebody there. There was a, a woman there from the Mon Valley. She got up at the crack of dawn and came to do this. And it was just very interesting talking to people. They see this very much as an assault on their jobs. And they want their jobs back. They want to get back to work. They were hotly critical of Governor Wolf. They seemed to, there was some social distancing, but there was also not social distancing. Yeah, from what the photos I saw, they were pretty close. They were pretty close. It all depended. It all depended. I, I, I walked the whole thing. And you know where I'm talking about physically here. If you're looking at the front of the Capitol, I started on the, appropriately enough, far right coming in from the park. And then once you got towards the steps, it really picked up in density. And then I went all the way over to the far left and people were sort of socially distanced again. So it was just the concentration right in front of the steps. Let's bring in Rajette to the conversation. Rajette, I'm sure younger than us. Did you go out to see what was happening? No, (laughs) I I did not. (laughs) First, I just wanted to say that. You know, people do have the constitutional right to gather in the protest. That is one of our American staples. But what was disappointing to me is that the majority of the people there, as we saw from the coverage, were not wearing masks. And I kind of look at this regarding the argument of free speech. 
meaning you have free speech, but you can't go into a movie theater and yell fire because it can impact other people's lives. And that's kind of how I see this debate. If you want to protest, why weren't you wearing a mask? Because we don't know enough about this virus, and you can take that home or take that into a grocery store, and it could impact me. And just for the record, I was wearing a mask and I was wearing gloves. Good, good. But the other thing, Jeffrey, I bring you in on this. I hear what Rajette is saying, and we do have a right to protest and we do have a right to free speech. But, you know, we're in basically a state of emergency. The president has sent out guidelines that no more than 10 people should be congregating in any way. I mean, these are special times. So some of those rights really are abrogated right now when you're in a state of emergency. It seems like these were not necessarily anti-Trump people. In fact, just the opposite. Why weren't they following his guidelines? Well, you know, I, I really do think that this is the old American spirit that goes back at least to the Boston Tea Party. People being told that they have to do X and at a certain point they get fed up and they protest. I mean, in my lifetime, in my youth, it was first civil rights and then the Vietnam War. And I certainly can remember people being told in the day, don't go to this march, don't go to that march, et cetera, et cetera. And they did it anyway. And if you were black and did that, you got arrested. <laughs> right. Well, it, bingo. Or worse, I might add. But people did it anyway because they believed in what they were protesting about. And I think that's nothing more complicated than that here. I mean, these people were really, this was not fun and games. I mean, I was listening to people losing jobs and income and all that sort of thing. My biggest issue, and I do agree with Jeffrey, that there are people who are upset that they can't go to a happy hour. Yes, but there's a lot of people who are upset that they can't work and they're not getting their income to take care of them and their families. But I have a huge problem with the tone of this. And I think our partisanship is getting even worse. If you care about people losing their jobs, then you're a grandmother killer. If you don't think people should be upset about their jobs on the other side of it, you're said you're un-American, you're unpatriotic. I think there's extremes on both sides. And I'm hoping that our elected officials can be level-headed and try to help both sides because in the end, it's our health and our economic welfare contributes to the quality of our life. The tone of this is getting out of hand, in my opinion. I mean, we had yeah, people at that the... rally walking around with guns, which I understand that's yes, probably a yes. podcast. But <laughs> I mean, well, it was clear it was clear scared. they were there to protest for their Second Amendment rights. I mean, I was there. That's what that was all about. But, you know, one of the pieces of wisdom that I, such as it is, that I heard not there, but on television from Louisiana Senator John Kennedy, who's, you know, very much a Southerner in his dialect and everything else. And he was talking about the need to reopen. And he said, this is like choosing between a heart attack and cancer. Yeah. The choices here are not good ones. And I think we're all feeling our way as to what to do and how to do it. I mean, just before we started to do our podcast here. I was hearing that the head of the CDC is saying there's going to be a second wave of this in the fall. Well, you know, there's no real predecessor for this. What right. do we do? We're all feeling our way through this. The president, the governors, the American people, et cetera. We'll find a way. I mean, I don't have any doubt about that, but we're still in a stage here where we're trying to figure this out. And I think that these increasing protests are the political equivalent of putting a a lid on a pot of steaming water, and eventually it blows because of the pressure. And I think that's a little bit of what we're seeing. 
I agree. I agree but with the, actually both of you raised some wonderful points. Let me just let's step back. Just one thing. You know, these really are the times that well, I could say try men's souls, but try men's souls. <laughs> That really Gee, requires, where did I hear that before? <laughs> but truly, these are the times that require courageous leadership. And you're going to have people criticizing you. You're going to have people say, and, and most of the time, or many times, these leaders, the governors, or even the president, is not going to necessarily make the right choice all the time. They're going to have to reconsider, rethink, readjust, because as you said, this is new. This is all new. And people are scared. They're scared. If you're a young person or other and you're not really scared about getting the virus and dying, then you are scared about losing a paycheck and not being able to find food and take care of yourself. Those are just facts. I was in a Facebook Live as the protests were going on with uh, Charles Mitchell, who is the CEO of the Commonwealth Foundation. And I was talking to him about the push from lawmakers to kind of pressure the governor to open up, at least in Pennsylvania. I mean, he raised some valid points. Is there a way now, especially as we're looking at perhaps leveling this thing off? And I heard you, Jeffrey, about the second wave. But is there a way now to maybe do this a little more targeted, to open up some businesses, to really let people know there is hope? I think part of the problem, correct me if I'm wrong, is that there seems to still be a heavy-handed approach without any nuance, without any strategic plan that gives people some way out of this. Is that getting to it? Yes. One of the questions I heard that I thought was a good question, a woman said, and I forget what kind of business we're in, a small business of some kind, but she said, why is it okay for people to wear masks and gloves and to go into the big grocery store, but it's not okay for the same thing to be done with my business? I think that's a very good point. You know why a mom and pop store that's also selling whatever, as long as they're following the guidelines, disinfecting, and you can trust them to do that, should be able, it would seem to me, to get get back into business. Now, here's the other thing, though. You don't want to necessarily encourage everyone out into the streets. Part of the reason this curve may be, from what they're telling us, may be reducing is that people have been staying home. They have been practicing social distancing. And I think the concern, even from the CDC, is that if we unleash this too soon, if we let people out too quickly, it's only going to make things worse. But one thing we could do, um, for instance, uh, Governor Wolf is now allowing online car sales. Um, I would argue that, you know, purchasing a car, depending if you have one or not, and depending on where you live, is considered essential, especially if your car breaks down. But say people don't like online car sales. You could make an appointment at a car dealership. They could not allow walk-ins to keep social distancing. So allow appointments and spread them out so you don't have too many people there at a time. Wear your masks. I just think we need to think things through as we start opening up these businesses because there is a way to do that. You could do that with a hair salon, for instance. Don't allow walk-ins. Spread out your appointments. Wear your masks. These stylists wear gloves as they you know, I mean, style hair. There are common sense things we can do. And I think we're at the point now that we need to start thinking of those. Honestly, yeah, that, I think you're right. I think that happens. I mean, we, I think we're all in agreement here. Let's get some smart people around the table meeting regularly, a task force on reopening so that they actually think through. I mean, we can throw out ideas here, but there are smart people who should be able to come together and think through a plan and actually. To me, if they announced that, that would go a long way toward quelling some of this unrest. Some people are just, I think, scared that nobody's thinking this through. 
you know? Right. But again, like this is a huge election year. And as always, everything gets politicized. So instead of thinking through these solutions, both sides, and this is where I go back to where I was mentioning earlier about the tone, both sides are making the other side the villain. When in reality, it's just a different point of view. No one listens to anyone anymore. I saw people wishing the virus on people if uh, they were at the protest. And it's, uh, it's horrible. Look what happened in Harrisburg with the fight and the woman spits on the woman in the giant store. Come on. What is this about? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Oh, God. What are people what? thinking? I mean, I guess. Although I will say, while I agree with you guys on protests, I do. My point of view, I think those people were a little bit foolish to be out there under the conditions that were there. Not not you, Jeffrey. You were there uh, for a professional reason, and I'm assuming you really did uh, yeah. follow the guy because you care about your health. But to be out yeah. there, to, and honestly, Penn Live, many reporters were hearing people say this was, they don't even believe there's a problem. Many of them didn't believe there was, you know, that again, it's all a hoax. So I'm going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're really going to talk about, I think there was an AEI, American Enterprise Institute, political report. They're trying to track American public opinion as we go through this crisis. Now I want to talk about some of the things that they brought out and get your take on it. So hang in there, stay tuned. And guess what, guys, if you want to join us, you can by sending an email to topics at battlegroundpa.org or by uh, sending us a note on Twitter or Facebook at battlegroundpa. So stay tuned. We'll be right back for more conversation on Battleground PA. Okay, we are back. And guys, I want to talk to you a little bit. I was fascinated by the AEI, and AEI is actually more of a right-leaning think tank, although it's nonpartisan. But I thought the reports, some of the studies that they were looking at and the issues really were interesting. They do find that the levels of concern of people, of Americans over this virus has risen dramatically. And of course, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to see that. But the thing that concerns me a little bit, Jeffrey, and I I want you to talk to this, it does look like Republicans are much more skeptical about this virus and have been for a while than are Democrats. Democrats seem to have always been on board. Yeah, this is serious, but not to Republicans. What is that about, Jeffrey? I know you have been taking this seriously, but what is that about? Well, you know, this is one of my sort of larger criticisms of the media in the Trump era. They started with, you know, almost immediately. I mean, there were headlines, you know, from right after the election, before he was even sworn in about impeaching him and all of this kind of thing. And this evolved into the Trump-Russia collusion business, and that in turn involved into Ukraine and impeachment, et cetera. And I think among Republicans, there is a feeling that the whole thing is one cynical effort to use whatever weapon is at hand to bring down the president. And so this comes along, and this is, and and I've written something about this on occasion. I said, this is like the boy who called wolf, the old Aesop's fable tale where he yells wolf and everybody comes running and he does it again and they come running and then he does it a third time when there really is a wolf and nobody comes. And what you got here is people suddenly saying after all these other things, oh, this really is a crisis. Well, they're right. It really is a crisis. But I think that you've engendered now in, in a certain percent of the population a concept, the perception that they do this for political purposes. They politicize things. It's a game. 
not that it isn't real, but that it's so that, so uh, there was politicized. And I, and I do think that that's damage done by the larger media here, by the way they played all these other things up. And then we get to this stage and people you know, are reluctant to believe them. And that is very bad. Wasn't Fox reporting that this was a serious crisis? I know there were the pundits and the, you know, who were casting aspersions, but by and large, they were giving the reports from the CDC and the World Health Organization that this is a problem, right? Well, here's the problem with this, is that all this time was spent most recently on impeachment. I've actually gone back and looked at this. I've been going through, for example, Nancy Pelosi's press releases. Well, I'm up into the middle of January, not a peep about this. A peep about everything else, impeachment, Ukraine, on and on and on and on goes the list. Not a word about this. You know, I I think it's fair to say it caught people by surprise. My friend Anderson Cooper there from CNN said this is just like the flu. There are a lot of people that thought that. Uh, Rajette, what about the Democrats? When did they first learn of this? When When did the alarm go up so that the Democrats should have been aware of this and Pelosi should have perhaps used her bully pulpit to warn people. Uh, Jeffrey just proved my point from before the break. Both sides are politicizing this effort. This has absolutely nothing to do with impeachment. The federal government did not take this as seriously as they should have. This isn't about Nancy Pelosi. She's not the president of the United States. You know, Donald Trump is. I think one of the problems is how this disease or how this virus has been affecting people. We know for a fact, which brings me to another point, we have statistics that people have this virus and that people are dying from it. You can't dispute real facts. But if you look at where the majority of the cases are, even here in Pennsylvania, they're in your more urban, your more populated cities, which tend to be more democratic. So I think Democrats aren't necessarily taking it serious, more seriously, but they see it more. They're personally affected by it more. In your more rural states and more rural areas, you have less cases. That could be for two reasons, I think. It could be that people just are spread out more. They're not really on each other as much as they are in urban areas. But the other issue that I've seen, because I have seen some stories, and you know, it's really hard with the lack of concrete and information. And I have seen some stories that say it is actually starting to hit some of the rural areas and some of the hospitals there are being overtaxed. But the real issue is testing. You really can't really say, unless you see people dying and dropping, you know, you really can't say where it is because there can be such, I mean, I could be, I could have the virus and no one knows it, right? If I have it, if I have no signs, it's possible I could be a carrier. And that's why nothing will open up until we get testing. Um, I do know that the stimulus package that was just passed the other day includes money for testing. So if that passes through the House and then the president signs it, maybe we'll be able to get more robust testing throughout the country. Well, according Um, to this AEI poll thing here, apparently on this issue, it does look like most people are agreeing with you that you can open up everything in the world. I mean, you can just have everything open, but they're not going to go in until they have some assurances that they're not going to catch the virus. This says even though registered voters are very or somewhat concerned about the national economy, which is 90%, their local economy, 88%, and their job, 44%. So for, the truth is only 44% are really, I'll go back, uh, not everybody's being economically hard hit by this, by the way. Anyway, at this writing, they gave priority to public health over the economy. 75% of the voters said it was more important for government to focus on the spread of the virus. 
and 17% said it was more important to focus on the economy. I mean, that was done last week, this poll. So to me, it's just common sense. You can open up things, but if I am not going, if you can't prove to me that the person behind the counter isn't going to give me the virus or my hairdresser isn't going to give me the virus, that kind of thing. I mean, am I wrong about that, Jeffrey? No, no, you're not wrong. I mean, this is where, God bless the American people, as Senator Kennedy from Louisiana said, you know, the American people aren't morons. They'll figure this out on their own, you know, whether to go to person, you know, to go to place of business A, B, C, or D, uh, to, to understand that they need to wear a mask and gloves and all of this kind of thing. They get it. They will get it. They get it now. And I just think that, you know, human nature is such that, uh, you know, I, I was watching it. I think it was a World War One documentary, you know, not that, not that I have nothing to do, right? And uh, one, of, one of the points they made was that Americans of the day learn to adapt. And I'm thinking this, this is one of the benefits of freedom, is that the American people, God bless them, in their wisdom, in their own time, in their own fashion, they will adapt to this. While the appropriate people go out of their way to find vaccines and make it no longer a health challenge, that's for the experts. But for everybody else, we will adapt and we will. To support that, look, this study shows that people's behavior have changed. It says in early March, 49% of the people, this is early March, said they hadn't changed a thing in their routines because of this virus. That's a lot of folks, right? But in April last week, 4% had not changed. So 96% of people had changed, and they are now washing their hands, disinfecting, and avoiding physical contact. So you're right. They're adapting. But Lord, during that period between February and March, the virus was spreading. You know, from mid-March to mid-April, there's been a substantial increase also, of course, we know this, in the percentage of Americans who are avoiding travel, avoiding public places. And here's the rub. Stop piling food and medicine. <laughs> I wish they would have looked at the voting habits of the people polled. They did. And I, and I, and, okay, did. I missed that yeah. part. And the only reason yeah, why I bring that up further. is that that small percentage, 17% isn't a lot, 10% isn't enough, a lot, 5% isn't a lot, but it is enough to flip an election. And right. I say this all right. the time. We're starting our phone banks now for this year's elections because, as you know, we can't do canvassing and things like that. People who are upset with the way things are handled, the only way to make that change is at the ballot box. Right. And well, that, those you, percentages are small, but it's not the attitudes. It's turning that attitude into action. Well, I will say this, Jeffrey. This poll is now showing more people disapprove of the president's handling of this. But even though it's 47 percent, Apparently, 46% disapprove of the media's handling of it. Now, I always worry right. when you talk about the media, are they talking about the national media? Are they talking about a certain era? But it shows that at least people are not really satisfied with the leadership and the way things are, are, are working. They are more satisfied, at least according to this poll, with state leaders. And they do have more confidence, it seems, in the CDC and WHO, the World Health Organization. Yeah, I, I mean, I must say I'm personally a little skeptical of the WHO here. I think there's uh, been some funny business going on here with China. Polls like this, I mean, let let me just remind again, it's April. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Joe Biden is in his basement. When we get to September 
and frankly, I will be fascinated just as an observer of politics to see how this works. I assume Joe Biden will be out of his basement, but where does he go? What happens to the Trump rallies? Well, I mean, you know, all yeah. the sort of yeah. normal things yeah. of American politics. I have no idea how that's going to play out, but it will play out in some form or fashion. Then I think you can begin to pay a little more attention to some of these polls. But right now, I think they're essentially meaningless. Well, no, I, now, I, I think I agree with. I agree with you with that, Jeffrey, in the sense that this the polls made today, as you said, cannot determine what happens in November. There's too much going on. It's a no, snapshot I, of how people feel. I agree with that. That's my point. I don't think they're worthless. I don't think they're necessarily going to say who's going to be president. But I think it's interesting to see how, for example, even these changing behaviors, to see how people have changed. 49% half the population didn't even pay attention to this in March. And and you can see how people's attitudes are changing as a result of what they're experiencing. And and what I also found interesting, Rajat, I don't know if you were able to look at this, but it did say out a huge percentage of people do not feel they have been economically disadvantaged by this. I found that startling, but I guess the truth is there are still people who have jobs. There are still people, they may be working from home, but we got to keep in mind that half the population are not small business owners. They are not, you know, necessarily being adversely affected by this, except they can't go into their office. Well, we have to also remember that a lot, the largest group of people who are being affected are those in the service industry. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many of them are included in that poll. We've had the poll discussion before. I'm not disputing the poll. But again, I've never been polled in my entire life. So <laughs> I don't think it's meaningless, but I do, you know, take it for what it is. But even for argument's sake, that small percentage is the percentage that might come out and vote because they are affected negatively economically against this virus. And it makes you wonder how they will vote. And depending on how they vote, it can turn the election. So I understand. And and it also depends on how they vote. I, I mean, physically, how does this get accomplished? Ah, thank you, Jeffrey. You've led us into. I, I to give you the, let's hold that for just one second, because I'll give you these figures that, at least according to AEI, and and I did AEI because they're not a left wing thing. They're really, uh, you know, much more I think legit that for you, Jeffrey. But uh, the coronavirus here, they said, has caused financial hardship for you and your household. Forty nine percent. And severe hardships that affect your ability to maintain your current standard of living was only 18%. Moderate hardship that affects you somewhat but does not jeopardize your current standing of living was 30%. So again, some people are impacted. It's not necessarily affecting their standard of living. But here, 51% says this has not caused financial hardship. 51%. I would say I don't believe that, but this is what, what's showing. And, you know, most people are having, it looks like here, 45% are having told to work remotely from home. So, again, as we look at this and as we look at the impact of all of this, we sometimes will tend to perhaps exaggerate how how much of an economic impact this is having. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm just showing by this poll. But let's go back but to what Jeffrey we shouldn't do the reverse here. either and say because a smaller part of the population isn't being handled economically according to this poll, we shouldn't worry about them as much. So that, you know, and I'm not saying you're doing that, but that can be taken both sides. So we have to be careful on both sides. There's a lot of people where this isn't being affected them health-wise too. 
but that doesn't mean we shouldn't wear our masks and worry about it possibly affecting us and our loved ones. And what so, happens if this warning from the head of the CDC today oh, that, about yeah. this, this is going to be worse in this could be uh, much worse in the fall with a second round? Well, that's when the election is. Yeah. If all of a sudden the country is being swept with a, you know, a, a, a serious second wave of this, then what? You know, that that is really true, Jeffrey. Let me tell you, if we get hit with the second wave of this, I don't know what people are going to do. But clearly, it is going to impact whether people will want to go out to those polls. So how are you guys feeling about this push for a mail-in to make these elections mail-in? I, for one, am always cautious about something like that because I think the potential for abuse, uh, to use a phrase that uh, Rochette uses doubtless in another context, but voter suppression, one man, one woman, one vote is my view. If we're opening up a system to a situation where it is liable for abuse, that's not good. How about you, Rochette? What's your feeling on this mail-in thing? I'm hoping that we give people an option. I love mail-in voting. My concern about only being mail-in voting is it could suppress our poor communities because they give you an envelope to turn in your ballot because I'm voting by mail myself for the primary, but you have to go out, get a stamp, put it on. So for those people who do have financial issues, they may or may not take the time to do that. So there could be a large section of the population who won't vote because they're not going to bother buying the stamp, putting it on, and taking time to mail it. Yeah, good point. So that's important to me. And this is where we have to look outside of our own personal situation and what we will do and try to put ourselves into the minds of other people. That's why I'm hoping that they come up with a solution. And I know the counties are up against it right now. They have to consolidate polling places and whatnot for the primary But for November, I hope they really sit down and figure out how to make sure that everyone can vote so that we don't have any communities suppressed due to money, transportation, or anything else. Right. And my concern, I'm getting ready to go into a Facebook Live with people who are advocates for people with disabilities. And their concern is that, you know, this community and the older people are going to be the ones most at risk if they have to go to the polls. So you're right. And as an elected official, they have to think of everyone. They have to think about the disabled, the elderly, but they can't just think about them. We also have to think about that small group that can't mail the ballot or those that won't take time to mail the ballot. (laughs) So there's a lot of things to think through. Of those that won't take time to mail the ballot, will take time to drive or walk over to their polls and wait in line and risk the virus. They will do that, but they won't put a stamp on a letter. Some people won't be able to afford the stamp, number one. I know there are things with me. I could have gotten free whatever, and I just either forgot about it or didn't take time to get a stamp and put it on and mail it. So I'm, I, I don't want to put everyone in a lazy category. You know, when people have children, people might be going back and forth to work again. People get busy. That's yeah, what I like about mail-in ballots. That would make it people, easier for you if you had a busy lifestyle. I'm thinking if you give you prepaid, post if they gave everyone a prepaid envelope, yeah. that would take okay. away that argument. But yeah, it, not- probably, it probably would. And, and the thing is, I mean, we need to remember this is not, I mean, not to disparage off your elections, but this is, and, and local officials, I, I certainly don't mean it in that sense. But I mean, the fact of the matter is that routinely in America, people don't turn out as much if if they're there to decide on their county commissioner. 
if it's the president of the United States, particularly in this day and age, they'll turn out in one form or another, whether that means physically going to the polls or getting, you know, a mail-in ballot. I think they'll respond and respond heavily. Yeah, well, and again, that and also might depend upon it. I bring up one point real quick. To get a mail-in ballot, you have to apply for it. What right. about households that don't have internet that can't apply for it? Now, you right. have some states where they automatically mail everyone a ballot or an application, which that is different. Yeah, that would be. Well, guys, we've had a, a thorough conversation. I want to leave with one issue here from AEI, too, that they that I think will be uplifting. The question they ask, is the coronavirus changing the country's spirit? And I think that might be a fitting way for us to leave and get your comments. 88% of Americans seem to be confident America, as you said, Jeffrey, will get through this. Now, that's interesting because among Republicans, it's actually 95% believe they are positive we will survive this, and 81% of Democrats independents are at 88%. But I'll tell you, and this is not a figure to sneeze at, there's a whole lot, 72% are calm, 55% are stressed, 42% feel boxed in, and 38% are simply scared, right? And this final question, I'm going to let you guys have the final say. Once the coronavirus outbreak has been contained, do you think the crisis will make the U.S. a stronger nation? 38%. Now, that's not the majority, which is a little scary. 38% said yes. Among those 38%, 57%, the majority of Republicans, but only 28% of Democrats felt this would leave us a stronger nation. So while they're confident we'll get through it, at least Democrats believe we're going to be significantly weakened by it. And frankly, looks like a good percentage of Republicans feel the same way. So I'm going to let you guys answer that. Let's start with Jeffrey and we'll let Rajat have the final word. Well, I would disagree. One of the things that we all learn as human beings as we grow up, and I'll put it in the vernacular phrase that I first heard decades ago, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think we're having this experience, and I think at the end of the day, we will be a much stronger country for it because we will have been through a crisis. We will have learned how to deal with it. We will deal with it, and we will go on into the future. Okay, that's a positive one. Rosette, what are your thoughts on this? I hope we are a stronger nation. I think a lot of those numbers reflect the economic aspect of things. I mean, in Pennsylvania alone, we have over a million people right now collecting unemployment. There's still a lot of people that are still waiting for their stimulus checks. So I think a lot of the numbers reflect that. I just want to remind people that, you know, this is a short-term inconvenience for a long-term gain. Mm -hmm. So as we work through this together, we can definitely come through a stronger, but we have to remember not just ourselves, but our neighbors as well. Right, exactly. Well, all wise, wise comments. And just so you'll know, most people apparently are not confident the November election will proceed on time. Only In this poll, only 32% of both, that I guess the combined Republicans and Democrats, thought the election would proceed on time. 39% said they were somewhat confident. So guys, as we all know, we're in for still some rocky uh, days ahead. But guess what? We will continue to persevere, not only as a nation, but as a state and as people. So with that, 
I just want to thank once again Jeffrey and Rajette for joining us here on another Battleground PA podcast. And we look forward to seeing you next week for yet another discussion of some of the most important issues facing the 2020 election. Right here, Battleground PA. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org.